Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you are here this morning to meet with us. Lord, that you are a God that is with us. That even in the midst of how great and how majestic and how wonderful you are, you take time to talk with us. Lord Jesus, may this time be a time where we do not waste that. We do not waste the honor that you are a God that speaks to us personally. Jesus, this morning we have a variety of requests that we represent. Lord, from family members that are far from you. Jesus, to illness. God, to grief. Lord, to broken relationships, Jesus. Lord, this morning, we want to trust you with those. God, we want to trust that the same God that speaks to us, that loves us, that laid down his life for us, loves and cares for each one of those situations. Jesus, this weekend, uh, as we remember and as we celebrate Memorial Day, God, I want to pray specifically uh, for the soldiers that are serving in our armed forces. Lord, for their families that they left at home. God, I pray that you would give them today a special dose and anointing of your peace. Jesus, that you would provide a way for them to come home safely. Jesus, that, that you would continue to carry them through this difficult time. Lord, and that while they serve, they find you. Jesus, we pray for the folks that have lost people uh, that were in the armed services. Lord, God, that you would be near to their heart. Lord, that you would help them as they grieve to remember that you, you are near to the brokenhearted, that you bind up the wounds of the afflicted. Jesus, and this weekend is a weekend where a lot of us go to a grave site, whether we've been impacted um, by the military or not. Jesus, I want to pray specifically over those families that will we'll decorate, will go. God, that as, that as this happens, Lord, as the snow melts and we begin to be able to go to those grave sites again, Lord, that, that you would be near to the brokenhearted. Lord, that there would be hope and restoration there. Jesus, that it wouldn't just be sorrow, Lord, but that also it would be a hope. God, we love you so much, and we are excited for all the things that you're doing this summer. Lord, we get to do a lot of fun things in the summer. God, I pray that you would continue to bless our church so that we can be a blessing to this neighborhood. Jesus, we want to see... Uh, Nob Hill saved for you. Lord, we want to see Nob Hill have hope restored. Jesus, can, can you start with us? God, it's in your precious and holy name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> if I haven't met you yet, my name is Lindsay. Uh, I'm in charge of this bunch, so... Take that as you will. Um, I don't think I'm in charge of Dale, really. I don't know if I really want to count that one. Um, but, I mean, every once in a while I do, but, you know, 
Also, look at how fabulous Val is making her way down off of the stage. I'm pretty excited. No wheelie cart this week. Sorry. <laughs> well, good morning. Uh, we are in the fifth and final week of our series, Called Out. And we have been on a long journey talking about what it means to choose calling over comfort. Now, this morning I want to open with a pop culture reference that is becoming more and more popular, and that is the term humble brag. Humble brag. Anybody heard of a humble brag? Okay, maybe like two of us. Okay, cool. Well, what a humble brag is, is that it's something that you say when you want to brag about something, but you're going to do it in a very humble way. Get, catch my drift? Like, like you want people to know that something's happening and that you should, they should be proud of you, but you say it in a way that maybe they wouldn't know that you're bragging. Um, there was actually an article that was called 50 Worst Humble Brag Moments on Twitter, and I collected what I thought were the funniest four to illustrate this. So this is the first one. It says, I just did something very selfless. But more importantly, it was genuine. <laughs> and I know it means a lot to the person in the long run. Hashtag, so worth it. Like, and, and now we all roll our eyes. It's okay, it's annoying. Uh, second one, I really like this one. This is from Joe Jonas. Totally walked down the wrong escalator at the airport from the flashes of the cameras. <laughs> Go me. Oh, no big deal. Just paparazzi following me around. No big deal. Next one, it says, Setting up your own charity and event is no joke. Would have thought it would have been easier. This is serious. Oh, poor you, right? You know, man, that's a problem to have. Uh, last one that I have, I just stepped on gum. Who spits gum on a red carpet? <laughs> and that is the nature of a humble brag. Like, I'm not actually bragging, but by the way, I was on the red carpet. <laughs> oh, and by the way, the paparazzi was following me around. And these are the kind of things that like drive people nuts, you know? This is like when your eyes roll entirely back into your head because you're like, are you kidding me? And this morning, the characters that we're going to be focused on actually fell into a humble brag moment. And Jesus had a very similar reaction that we do. Uh, to the religious leaders, actually. And before we get into this story, they, there is some context that you should know. And the first thing is that our story happens about a week prior to the crucifixion. And, and Jesus goes into the temple for his last physical life. And he walks into the temple. And the other thing that you have to know about the temple, I have a picture for you. It is set up as concentric rectangles meaning the closer you get to the center, the holier the ground is. So Jesus enters into the outer courts, and you can tell that those are pretty big. And the outer courts are called the court of the Gentiles, meaning anybody could go there. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to believe in God. You can just be there. And this is where we find Jesus, who calls the temple a den of robbers, and he starts flipping tables. Um, I read something online that was like, remember when you say WWJD that flipping tables is within the realm of possibility there. <laughs> um, but, but this is where we find Jesus who comes in and they are selling all sorts of goods and making money and he gets frustrated. And he says, 
you've made the temple of God more about money and less about God. And he starts getting angry and he throws things around. And then, right after this, he walks into the next ring, which is called the court of women. Now, that didn't mean that only women were there. It just meant that that's how far a Jewish woman could go. And so that he would walk into this court of women, and this was the first court that only Jews could be a part of. You had to be ritually clean. And also, this is a place where they would come and give their offerings. Now, this is a place that had 13 trumpet-shaped giving receptacles. 13 of these huge uh, bell-like trumpets where you would come and give your money. So when we look at this story, there are two things we need to lock in on. One, Jesus is already upset. (laughs) Jesus is already pretty ticked about how they have handled money in the temple. And on that day, second, the further he enters into the temple, the more he expects out of the people. Because the further he enters into the temple, the more he knows you believe in God. You are God's chosen people, the Jews. And so when he makes his way into the court of the women, he knows that this is his crowd. These are the people that he expects more out of, not not the Gentiles who do not know God, but the Jews. Now this is where we find ourselves today. Mark 12, verse 38. Jesus also taught, Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk into the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogue and head of table at the banquets. This morning, we find Jesus condemning humble bragging. Uh, We find Jesus coming in and saying, They love to parade in. These religious leaders, they come in in these flowing robes. They come in and make it obvious, and they just demand respect from their onlookers. And they love having seats of honor. I actually wrote a tweet that I think would come from one of these religious leaders. Uh, It would look something like this. Tripped on the way to give my offering. Hashtag coins everywhere, right? (laughs) Like I had so much money to give, right? And to put it this way, they were there to give, and everyone knew it. They made sure of it. Verse 41, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Okay, let's just pause here and make sure you know what's happening. Jesus sits down next to the giving plate. (laughs) No pressure, okay? (laughs) Like, that would be kind of terrifying. Um, I imagine that this would feel like, you know, when you're out driving and you're obeying all traffic laws, but a cop pulls up next to you, and suddenly you're like, what am I doing wrong? You know, I, I, it, when that happens to me, I'm like, okay, uh, am I driving straight? Am I driving too straight? Am, do I look like I'm trying to drive straight? Do I, am I driving too perfectly? Like, I got pulled over eight years ago. What if this is the same cop? Like, I don't know what's going on. I have my hands at 10 and 2, but I wrote an article that said that it was better to be at 3 at 9. Maybe he read that article. I don't know. And, and I imagine that this is what it feels like. <laughs> Jesus is sitting next to the offering plate. And and he says, uh, people are coming in and giving their offering. This is just when he had finished flipping tables 
And he condemns religious leaders for strutting around. And almost like he planned it, some religious leaders come in, strutting around. And they come in with their huge bags and make obvious donations. Uh, It's a lot like this guy. I have a video of a man who paid the DMV entirely in pennies. Watch this video with me. This guy is pushing a wheelbarrow full of pennies into the Department of Motor Vehicles to pay a bill. He broke into his piggy bank. Nick Stafford (laughs) took revenge on his local DMV by paying auto sales tax with five wheelbarrows of pennies. How much was the total tax bill? $2,987.45. The staff at the DMV office in Lebanon, Virginia had to count each penny by hand. And there were 298,745 of them. Where do you even get all those pennies? Got the pennies from the bank. They came rolled in the paper rolls. So instead of just taking the pennies and rolls to the DMV, uh, I paid 11 people uh, to come in with hammers and break up the penny rolls. Then there was the price of the wheelbarrows he needed to carry 1,600 pounds of pennies. Total cost, $2,000. This ended up costing you quite a bit of money. Was it all really worth it? Absolutely, worth every penny of it. Uh, I, I did spend a lot to get the pennies down there, um, but I think I proved my point, and that, that in and of itself is priceless. How many of you guys think that guy's crazy? How many of you guys are like, he's a hero, you know? <laughs> um, I, I was really scared to show that in front of some of you guys, so I'll be honest. But, but this is a public display. I love when he says, it's worth every penny. He paid 11 people just to break up the pennies. It cost him two grand, almost the same amount of the fee itself, to get them there. It was a huge public display. And this, this is what the religious leaders were doing. They were making this huge, exorbitant public display. And then look what what happens. Verse 42. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And you can't miss this comparison. The wealthy come in and they make this big offering, this big show. And the widow, the one that is one of the most forgotten people of the society, walks in and drops two coins. These two coins would be worth less than our penny. It would be one 128th of a day's wages. And she comes in and she drops them in. I'm going to go out on a limb and say nobody noticed. I'm going to say that when they tallied all of the offering from that day, no one notices the two coins. But here's the beauty. Jesus notices. Jesus notices in this moment. Verse 43, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has to live on. This widow shows up and religious leaders are making a huge scene, you know? They're taking their huge bays and going clink, 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 into the trumpets. And she walks up, no fanfare, because let's be real, she couldn't afford it. She walks up and she, she has nothing on her except for two coins. And this isn't like pocket change. 
No, there's nothing at home waiting for her. She may as well have written a blank check to the temple and threw in these two coins while others are receiving praise and having jealousy from onlookers. She walks up and places two coins. And Jesus, Jesus says, she has given more than all the others. Now, it's obvious that there's no way she outgave anybody that day. There's no way that she gave more than these religious leaders. But what's a little less obvious is that Jesus is more concerned with sacrifice than he is with quantity. He is more concerned with your sacrifice than your quantity. And as Christians, we are called to be living sacrifices. Uh, Paul talks about this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Holy and pleasing to God is to be living a life called into sacrifice. This morning, we're going to close our series on this sermon called Called Into Sacrifice. And I want to ask the question, in 2019, in your city, in, in the, uh, the life stage that you find yourself in, what does it mean to be called into sacrifice? What does it mean to be called into sacrifice? What does it look like for me to live a sacrificial life? What does it look like for me to be like this woman, this widow? Not for show or amount or response, but how are we to be a living sacrifice? How is the story of the widow, how does it illustrate that? And I think it illustrates a few points. First one, it means we see the forgotten. It means that we see the forgotten. Verse 40, yet they shamelessly cheat widows, and they being the religious leaders, they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. Other translations say they devour the houses of the widows, meaning that they were graceless landlords with one hand and then they were gracious givers with the other. Meaning that they would cheat widows while dumping their coins in the trumpets. Uh, later in the New Testament, James speaks about this. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Meaning these religious leaders they should have been taking care of this woman. They should have been making sure that she had more than two coins in her pocket. They should have looked after her. They should have seen her. But instead, they stole from widows. And then they would turn around and insist and pressure those widows to still give money to the temple. N.T. Wright, he puts it this way. He says, rather than commending the widow's generosity, Jesus is condemning both the social system that renders her poor and the value system that motivates her actions, and he condemns the people who conditioned her to do it. He says, look at this woman. You have let her be this way. You have ignored her for long enough that all she has are these two coins. You know, and if we want to have a life, we want to live a life of sacrifice, 
we have to see the forgotten in our world. We have to see the people that are disregarded. You know, in our city, in Colorado Springs, who are those people? Who are the folks that are ostracized, that are harassed, that are sidelined, that you would rather avoid eye contact with than have a conversation with? Jesus says those people, true religion, takes care of them. It puts our pride away, and it says, let me take care of you. And we're a part of a church that I would say is incredibly grace-filled, and we're full, full of a lot of, like, weird people, okay? Um, so I know, and you laugh because it's true, but so I know that they would be welcomed in this space. But who needs to be welcomed into your life? Who needs maybe not just an invitation to church, but maybe an invitation into your living room? Maybe an invitation into hearing your story? Maybe for the first time, or maybe re-invited for like the 500th time. See, living sacrificially requires us to see the world differently, to see the forgotten, to invite them in, and to take care of them. The next thing that it would mean is that it means we have an attitude adjustment. Um, Sometimes I need an attitude adjustment, surprisingly enough. (laughs) Sometimes I get a look from either Valerie or Elizabeth and my roommates, and they're like, okay, you you need to check yourself (laughs) uh, before you carry on. And, And I think that when we live sacrificially, we have to adjust our attitude. Uh, Don Whitney, he wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines in the Christian Life. And within it, he outlines three different attitudes that we get when we give anything. The first one he calls grudge giving. And grudge giving, I think, is epitomized by uh, the IRS and tax season, okay? That is definitely the epitome of grudge giving. It is, man, I guess I have to. Um, because I really don't want to go to jail, right? So, unfortunately, I'm going to go through all these papers, (laughs) even though they they already know the amount that I'm supposed to give. I'm going to go through all of these papers. I'm going to feel like I'm on this huge test, and then I guess I'm going to pay for it at the end. It's also the kind of giving that happens when you get a speeding ticket. (sighs) It's like the kind of giving that gives you a gut ache, where you say, ugh, I guess I'll give. Uh, The second type of giving that he talks about is obligation giving. And this is the kind of giving that you do when you pay your bills. Like, oh, I used my cell phone this month, so I better pay it, (laughs) you know? Oh, I I used electricity this month, so I should really pay my bill. And then the last kind of giving, he says, is called thanksgiving. And this is the kind of giving that happens when a man saves up three months of his wages just to buy an engagement ring for the woman he loves. Now, when you approach your life and living it for the Lord, do you approach it like the IRS and the DMV? Or do you approach it as giving towards the object of your affection? Do you give out of this deep level love and understanding of who God is? And I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about your life in general. When you serve, when you give of your time, is it something like checking the box? Or is it a deep level love? We live in a society where this is incredibly difficult for us. But look at this widow. She she knew struggle. 
She knew need, but she also would have known Psalm 68, where it says uh, that God is a father to the fatherless and that he is a defender of the widows. And she gave all that she had out of a trust that God was going to defend her, out of a trust and a love that he was going to meet her needs. And it depended on it. You know, her next meal depended on God defending her. She didn't have any change left to go home. She didn't have any change left to go to the grocery store and buy some things. She didn't have the money for her next meal, and she gave everything. And this is difficult for us because we are strong, independent people, right? But what if God is not waiting for you to have more? What if he's waiting for us to trust him more with what we have? To trust him with our time, to trust him with our talents, to trust him with our treasures, to trust him with all of our lives. Which leads us to the last thing that we learn from this, and that is that sacrificial meaning, living, it means that we give our all. 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Living sacrificially means nothing is held back. Meaning, Lord, if you want it, it's yours. Meaning, all that I am, all that I could be. Jesus, my hands are open, and you can have it. It means that we see the hurt and the pain in this world, and instead of asking, Lord, how much do you want me to give? We say, Lord, how much can I keep, actually? Because really, it's all yours. What can I do? The widow approaches this giving bucket, and I imagine that the sound of the two pennies is nothing compared to the religious leaders. But they, the weight that they held in her life was everything. And I think that when we, we have a sermon like this, we approach it and we say, okay, well, I don't really have time. I don't, I'm not really that gifted. I don't have, and I'm poor. <laughs> like, what, am I, what do I have? Lord, what do I have that's left for you? And Jesus says, everything. Your life and how you spend it, that's, that's what I want. Listen, God doesn't need your treasures. He wants your heart. He doesn't need your treasures. And that's, that's the beauty of God, is that he never asks us to give anything because he needs it. He asks it because he wants your heart. He wants all of you. Nothing held back. Jesus, he loved us so much that while his arms were stretched out on the cross, he could not hold anything back. And he calls us into a world that is hurting, that is broken, and he says, follow suit. Hold nothing back. People that need to hear um, God's sacrificial love are waiting. And what are we going to do about it? This morning, um, I want to invite you into a posture of prayer. 
And uh, we say posture of prayer. That just means that however you pray and you feel comfortable doing so, uh, this space is open for that. Uh, Maybe you bow your head. Maybe you kneel where you're at. Uh, Maybe you come to the altar. But we're going to partake in communion today. And before we do, I'd like to lead us in a time of prayer. So go ahead and take that posture wherever that finds you today. Lord, today we're going to take communion. We're going to end on a note and remember the sacrifice that you gave. Folks, I just want you to ask the question, what is God asking me to do? How is God asking me to live sacrificially? Lord, what would be the hardest thing for me to drop into that bucket? Lord, would it be my schedule? Would it be my preferences, Lord? Lord, would it be my treasure? God, am I like the young ruler? Am I refusing to trust you with my possessions? Jesus, is it the future? God, am I scared that I'm going to fail? Lord, is it my pride? Lord, do I not want to see the forgotten? Lord, what is it? Jesus, what is it that separates me from all that you have? As you see those things and as as the Lord reveals those things, I want to read this scripture in Isaiah 53. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have been led astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. In light of Christ's sacrifice, what is he asking you to lay down? What maybe are you withholding from him? This morning, as as we partake in communion, we practice open communion, which means that if you believe uh, in the Lord and you believe the sacrifice that Jesus made for your sins, this is a time also for you. But also, if you're not there yet, 
That's okay too. But I want to challenge you that as we take communion and as we remember the sacrifice that Christ made, that before you make the stand and you come up and get the bread and the juice, that you would commit to the Lord whatever it is that he wants you to lay down. And that this morning, as we take communion, that this is an act of saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I will. Father God, we love you. We are so blessed. We are blessed beyond whatever we have ever deserved. God, that you sent your one and only son into the world, that he died a sinner's cross for me. Jesus, a lot of us, we look down at our hands and we see two pennies. Lord, but the beauty is, is that you see the most that could be given. That you stand up and take notice. Jesus, we trust you. God, we trust you with these two pennies. We trust you with our lives. Because we know that your scripture says that you have plans and purposes for us. That your thoughts are much higher than ours. God, I pray as we, we take communion today uh, as a church family, Lord, that, that you would help us to commit to a new trajectory. God, that we would be called out of comfort and we would choose your calling. We would choose sacrifice. Knowing that in the end, sacrifice really isn't the right word because you have called us and you have given us life to the fullest. Jesus, would you bless this time of prayer?